Sign up for the Ultimate Clemson Sports Newsletter, The Tiger Take, written by Post and Courier reporter John Blau. You'll receive exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Keep up to date with position battles, behind-the-scenes updates on practices, press conferences, and games. Stay in the know on all things Tigers, plus subscribers get access to all Clemson and Carolina sports stories on the Post and Courier's website. Start your two-week free trial today at postandcourier.com forward slash the Tiger Take. Hey guys, this is John Blau, your Clemson reporter for the Post and Courier. We're here for our uh, weekly countdown to kickoff feature, one of our uh, couple of things that's outside of the newspaper. Uh, week to week, we kind of preview the upcoming football game here uh, for other updates and uh, interesting things. Uh, you can also subscribe to my newsletter called the Tizer Tiger Take. Um, you go to postandcourier.com forward slash the Tiger Take. I will send you my stories along with... Um, other random bits of information about behind the scenes kind of content. Uh, but back to countdown to kickoff and have Tim Bray here again, uh, the former uh, football sports information director for Clemson football. Um, I just said football twice. I'm being redundant, but uh, Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Um, so UConn, I don't think they've ever played them in football, right? Have they ever played them in any sports? Has Clemson played UConn in any other type of memorable athletic event? Oh, yes. Uh, not a hair from a Clemson standpoint against UConn historically. Uh, being a native of Connecticut, I'm uh, well-versed in this area. Um, how old are you? I am 36. Okay. Clemson played UConn in the NCAA tournament in the Meadowlands, and UConn had a 19-point lead in the second half. The Tigers made a miraculous comeback behind Dale Davis and Eldon Campbell, two future NBA greats, and took a 70-9 lead. Uh, then UConn came down and missed. The Tigers got the rebound and with about with a little over a second left. Sean Tyson of Clemson goes to the foul line, misses the front end of the one and one. UConn calls timeout with one second left. And Scott Burrell throws a length of the court pass to Tate George, who catches the ball, turns and shoots and makes the shot. And they beat us at the buzzer 71 70 to move on to the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. That was arguably Clemson's most talented team uh, in basketball history. Crushing defeat. Fast forward 21 years later, and the UConn baseball team comes to Clemson for the NCAA regional. The Tigers are a number one seed. I think we might have been a national seed. And that UConn baseball team upset us. Uh, Uh, Clemson fans very uh, disappointed in that but as we look back at that UConn roster no less than five University of Connecticut baseball players went on to play in the major leagues including George Springer who is the World Series MVP I think in 2017 so arguably two of UConn's greatest victories in other sports have come at Clemson uh, the Tigers uh, have beaten UConn four times in men's soccer um, and when both teams were really good in soccer in the 80s. So that's the long answer to you, Clemson, to your answer that 
been a little bit of heritage in other sports, but the first meeting in football. Yeah, um, I think Dabo was talking about it and uh, yeah, said he, he, he couldn't remember. He's obviously never played them. Um, but in football, uh, UConn's been struggling as of late. Um, they didn't play the entire 2020 season uh, because of the pandemic. Um, they're one and eight this year. Uh, coaching change earlier in the year with, with Lou Spanos coming in for Randy Etzel. Um, I think Dabo was just being a little honest where he said, you know, we can't overlook them and I'm going to play everybody because if we lose this game, there'll be a new head coach at Clemson. I mean, he can't, he can't afford to lose uh, a game like this or not be prepared in a game like this for a team like UConn, which uh, he didn't explicitly say this, but you know, a team that's struggling and a team that Clemson's expected to beat. Um, so I guess what are, you know, some of the storylines going into the game? I mean, it seems like it's mostly just Clemson versus Clemson. Uh, if we kind of, you know, frame it that way, uh, rather than, you know, who does UConn have or not have. But I, I guess what would be some of the, the key points that you would point to coming into this game as, as being important? Well, unfortunately, we lost our best storyline, which would have been the matchup of Pumachan quarterbacks. UConn's second string quarterback is Tyler Pumachan, of course, is Tyson Pumachan, who's played pretty well of late, but unfortunately in the Vanderbilt game, you uh, suffered a knee injury and uh, was lost for the rest of the year. He played a good bit um, and had kind of similar he's kind of similar quarterback, obviously to uh, to Tyson. But uh, that would have been the first time in the history of Death Valley that you had dueling brothers playing a quarterback on opposite sides of the field. <coughs> I know of three times where brothers have uh, faced each other um, in Death Valley. One would be the Richardson's brothers in 1982, John for North Carolina and Mark for Clemson. Mark has gone on to be on the Clemson Board of Trustees. Um, they uh, played a 1982 uh, game at, at Clemson. Uh, Michael Hamlin was a defensive back for Clemson. His brother was a defensive back when the two teams played in 2008. And I believe Matt Bockhorst's brother played uh, in, I can't remember which game that was, but that was, I think when Bockhorst was a, was a uh, freshman, maybe at Kent State, I think. Uh, so those times I remember that uh, happening. So unfortunately we lost that great storyline. Uh, Tyson still came and did interviews uh, this week and did talk about it. We still have 20 members of the Pumachan family coming to the game this weekend. Uh, UConn is letting uh, Tyler travel. So uh, at least with the brothers, we'll get to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to see each other. As far as X's and O's and, and um, that type of uh, thing, I think from a point, you hear the, you hear the, uh, the coaches or in all sports talk about, uh, you know, we just have to worry about our, our, ourselves and doing well. And it is an important game for Clemson from the standpoint of trying to continue a good bit of momentum that we've seen from the offense. Obviously, Clemson's offense has not been up to standards this year, but has made some strides. Clemson has scored 30 points in each of the last two games, albeit the Florida State game was scored on a defensive wacky play at the end of that game. But 
uh, still have, have made strides offensively in, in some distribution. And uh, I, you know, I think it's important that uh, DJ Uyungle uh, has another good game, put back-to-back games going into that uh, Wake Forest game this past weekend. His efficiency was 143, <clears throat> excuse me, 0.6, which was by far his best, uh, uh, you know, this, this season. And uh, obviously Bo Collins had a breakout game. It'd be nice to see him have, uh, similar success uh, this week. Yeah, you go back to that Louisville game. I mean, one of the big things for DJ Uyungle is he had 220 yards, two touchdowns, but he didn't have any interceptions. So didn't turn the ball over. Um, they were able to maintain possession, which they needed every single one of them. Uh, they needed every single one of those BT Potter field goals too, uh, to be able to pull out, you know, a win at the end and needed a defensive stop um, at the very end of the game. But this is one of those rare games for, for Dabo Sweeney he was talking about uh, where the offense actually somewhat carried the defense because the defense struggled uh, to contain Malik Cunningham uh, the entire night because um, he's just a phenomenal player. He kind of showed why that uh, Dabo was saying he's Lamar-esque in terms of Lamar Jackson. Um, but the offense being able to, again, two weeks in a row make drives that they need to make to win the game, um, you need to kind of maintain that offensive success like you were saying uh, and keep that going because Wake Forest is the team and that's looking two weeks ahead, but a team that can score points. And so how, how, how Clemson maintains that is going to be extremely, extremely crucial. I mean, were, were there any particular things that you think, again, not turning the ball over for DJ, but was there anything else uh, offensively that, that stood out to you, I guess, the way about Wake Clemson played last week? <laughs> Well, I know you did. You uh, are not listening to our because you're at the game. But the key, I said one of the keys of the game uh, before Louisville is that uh, we need DJ needed to improve on his third down accuracy. Going into the uh, uh, Louisville game, he only completed 39% of his passes on third down, and incredibly was only five of 23, 21% on third and either four or five or six yards to go. In the Louisville game, he was six for nine on third down for 60 yards and was three for three in that third down and four to six uh, uh, distance situation. So I think that was, uh, you know, certainly important. It's important to, uh, to move the change. And I think he got some, uh, some confidence. I, I really, you know, looking at DJ going to practice, whatever, uh, you know, he looks great in practice. But, you know, sometimes in the games early in the season, I think he lacked for uh, for some confidence, which goes back to that first game of the season against uh, against Georgia. I've said on uh, on your uh, your show here that this might have been the worst year for Clemson to start the season playing the number one defense in the country might be the best defense in college football in the last five years in, in terms of scoring uh, defense. And I thought that game did uh, Clemson offense, in particular, from some from some confidence. So that's why I think it's important that now we've had a couple of games in a row. He's looked pretty good. It is this important game uh, to to continue that strength confidence against uh, UConn. And UConn is uh, 85th in the country in pass defense. They're 107th in total defense. So hopefully, he can continue some good numbers. Yeah, and you mentioned Bo Collins earlier, too, as well. He had his first 100-yard receiving game, uh, six catches for 104, had that huge 46-yard uh, touchdown. 
um, on the, they call it the home run post route, uh, which is one that actually goes back to high school uh, for DJ and Bo, both playing at St. John Bosco. Um, and it's one of their favorites. And it just brings me uh, back to thinking about Dabo. Uh, talk, Dabo Sweeney's talked about it about multiple times, um, where Bo is the best route runner he's seen come into the program as a freshman, uh, other than, you know, the only two being in his company, Sammy Watkins and Justin Ross. And so that's pretty good company. Um, I guess, do you remember Sammy Watkins when he first got to Clemson? And does Bo, uh, his, I guess, route running ability remind you of kind of what Sammy was very early in his career? Uh, Sammy Watkins from the get-go, I never saw a guy who could get off the line of scrimmage. And obviously that did lead to route running. Um, but, you know, those little screen passes, he could always uh, turn those into seven, eight-yard gains when a lot of guys would only get, uh, you know, a couple of uh, yards. He was he was booking it right from uh, the get-go. And, uh, you know, Sammy came here. He had one practice. He was second team. The second practice in August of his freshman year in 2011, he uh, he moved up to first team, and and that was it. Uh, you know, he was first team the rest of the rest of his career so um you, you know but we'll, we'll have to go some still to uh to reach a sammy watkins uh level in my mind but still he he is good at it and he does get off the line of scrimmage and and does run uh precise 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 routes uh so Dabo obviously has a good eye for it having been a wide receivers coach before he was the head coach yeah, and just Bo is one of a number of just young guys uh, for this Clemson offense, and that will be something that we'll, again, see in this UConn game is if they play the way that we expect, I mean, a lot of guys are going to get uh, playing time, not even just the guys that are already in the game. But uh, in terms of just the, the freshmen that are making an impact, I mean, you think of Bo Collins, you think of Will Shipley, uh, Marcus Tate has had his ups and downs at left guard, but he's kind of fought through them, um, gotten better throughout the season. Uh, DJ, obviously a sophomore, but a lot of freshmen across the board. I mean, if you even go to the defensive side of the ball with uh, Andrew Makuba at safety and Barrett Carter at linebacker. Um, do you remember, I mean, is this a, a large number of freshmen, do you feel like, to be contributing uh, this early? Um, just if you go go through the various names, I mean, is this is this one of – I know it was supposed to be one of the more experienced teams in a sense because you got Skalski and Turner and all those guys back, but it seems like there's a lot of youth as well. I mean, a lot of guys that are going to be coming back and I guess it's that exciting in a way. Yeah, you're right. It is kind of an interesting uh, mixture. I uh, just completed writing my uh, last uh, program article for the Wake Forest game uh, that I always traditionally for the last home game right on the senior class. And of course, you know, this year you got a senior class that's all over the place. You got five guys who entered in 2016, 10 that entered in 2017, 15 that entered in 2018. So uh, it's almost like you got six classes of, of, of guys. But um, you're right, there have been a lot of freshmen that have contributed. Uh, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, probably the 1988 freshman class. We had five guys in that freshman class who made a sporting news uh, all freshman, um, all Amer one of their freshman all American teams that year. We had Dexter Davis, 
who went on the NFL, Levon Kirkland, who went on the NFL, Ed McDaniel went on the NFL, started as as uh, as freshmen. So that would be a class I think of as great uh, freshman uh, classes. But um, but you're right, and especially in the area of uh, the skill positions. Now in 2014. Uh, just a few years ago, it was that way because you had Deshaun Watson started most of the year. He got hurt. But I remember the South Carolina game of 2014. You had Deshaun Watson start at quarterback. Uh, you had Wayne Gallman start at running back and Artavis Scott at wide receiver. And uh, Scott, I believe, set the record for uh, Clemson receiving yardage in a game against South Carolina. Of course, Deshaun threw for, I think, 287 yards. And uh, Gallman, I think, rushed for 180 in that uh, in that game. So uh, that would be a recent class that I would compare to freshman of influence, so to speak. Right. And uh, the list I gave wasn't even complete. I'm just thinking about it more. Obviously, Phil Maffa at running back as well. They have Jake Brennan-Stool starting to play at tight end. Uh, Dakari Collins is a guy, another Collins. I, I heard a Joe, a Joe refer to them as the Collins Towers at one point, I guess, Bo and Dakari, not related, um, but they, they both have the same last name, both long, uh, rangy athletes. Dakari probably had a touchdown last week that didn't count. I and mean, we saw the replay. If it was called on the field as a touchdown, it probably wouldn't have been overturned. Uh, probably not enough there to uh, overturn it either way. And so it ended up, it was called on the field incomplete. So it just stayed that way. Um, but a lot of guys and, and you know, really uh, opportune as well, because obviously at receiver, uh, there's been some injuries. Frank Ladson Jr. going down. Brandon Spector hasn't been able to play yet. Um, EJ Williams has been in and out. And, and Joseph Ngata now uh, has a, a, a foot injury. So he's probably going to be out for a while. So uh, really needed Bo Collins to emerge there in the slot. And now Dakari Collins on the outside, I guess you go to practices. Has Dakari Collins ever stood out to you as well as a guy who can make a splash maybe? Yeah, I certainly think he can. Now, quite frankly, Bo Collins, it seemed like he's been ahead of him uh, most of the, uh, most of the time, but uh, Dakari has certainly made some plays and you're right. You know, I saw, saw a few pictures on the internet of that uh, catch by Dakari at Louisville and it sure looked like he, barely but it's like he had that foot in a bounce so it's a shame that uh got taken away from him but um yeah i know i think i think the car is going to be a good player be a contributor and, and coming down the stretch here he's going to get uh some opportunities it's just a shame with ladson and gotta have really had a uh, injury played career uh so far i mean they've certainly had their moments in games but uh it seemed like they've been uh injured more than they've they've been able to participate yeah, I mean, Joseph Ngata was actually having a really great year. He was the leading receiver, and um, then he came down with COVID, and, and now and now the foot injury. So just a lot of stuff going on for um, Ngata, for a lot of guys. I mean, it's just been so many different injuries uh, throughout the year. And that was one of the things also, I guess, flipping it back down, back to the defense a little bit, that it was impressive about that goal line stand. I mean, you think about how depleted the, de the defensive line has been at times with Brian Brzee out for the year. Yeah, Tyler Davis still has that giant almost robot arm on the right side. Um, and, and you got all these other guys, you know, that have been in and out. Bale Spector's had an injury uh, at times. James Skalski, just so many different guys affected on that side of the ball. Uh, but, you know, Louisville gets the ball at the two yard line. 
four plays with Malik Cunningham, a guy who had been hurting them all day and they can't get in. Um, and and it, again, talking about depth, RJ Mickens is a guy who made uh, a couple of plays on that goal line stand. Um, think about Xavier Thomas, a guy who was struggling last year. I mean, it was ballooned to 300 pounds and he's coming crashing down the line um, on one of those plays, the very last one to help kind of seal the deal. Um, Nolan Turner missed a couple games early in the year. He's there as well. Um, so just really impressive. I mean, have you seen a team have this many goal line stands, you know, in the course of a year? I mean, obviously going back to Georgia Tech, um, you, you know, and obviously this one and I mean, multiples uh, to be able to do what they've done throughout the year. Um, so reliable in, in that phase. I mean, how often have you seen a defense like this? that can do that, that's, you know, repeat that in that situation the way they have. Um, the quick answer to your question is I can't think of any, I mean, we've had some very good defenses, uh, but this, uh, but as I look at my national stats, uh, opponent red zone scoring pos uh, possessions, 59%. Clemson is third in the nation in defending, uh, you know, the red zone and especially not allowing very many, uh, touchdowns, by the way, UConn is 120 zone, uh, uh, defense. Uh, so, but no, you're right. Um, now Brent Venables has always had a good knack of studying. Film. I remember speaking of Louisville, um, when we played Louisville in 2014, which was, I believe the first time that we played him, it was a real close game and there was a long pass. Uh, on the last drive that J. Ron Kirsch tracked down the player. And it was about first and goal at the five, maybe. And on their last uh, play that they tried to run, the uh, ball was deflected by Deshaun Williams, who's now in the NFL with Cleveland, I think, with Denver. Um, and so we won the game kind of in similar fashion, although that was a pass. And in the post game, um, you know, uh, Venable said he had seen them, uh, he them run that play in a similar situation on some film he was uh, looking at and it really told me the degree to which co I'm coach because I mean we hadn't even played them before and and he kind of had an idea what kind of play they were going to uh, run and he communicated that to the team and they actually practiced against it so you know one of the reasons we're so good in the red zone is because of the smarts of uh, the defensive co coordinator Brent Venables and also the smarts of a Kowalski uh, who's on the field, you might remember on that last uh, play, Skulski was right there along with uh, uh, Xavier uh, Thomas. Skulski has been a big key to the to that uh, to that red zone uh, defense. But uh, yeah, that was a big, uh, uh, you know, to have first ball to the quarterback who's been successful. You know, I saw a lot of people say, well, you know, Come was hurt. But, you know, in that last play, it looked like he was pretty fast to me getting to the outside. He didn't look very slow to me. Uh, so it was a good, uh, just a good defensive concept for uh, for the Tigers in that last uh, possession for, for Louisville. Yeah, because, again, just knowing what they're doing. I mean, they, they, they were playing with three down linemen. Obviously, it's very compressed. Um, but they were basically able to spill uh, Louisville to the outside and then use their speed to their advantage. Andrew McCuba had one play where he pretty much just – rifled towards uh, Malik Cunningham looks like he was faster than him um, which was really impressive for uh, for again the type of playmaker Cunningham is see Kuba make that play 
Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a game that will be interesting though, for the defense, because, you know, UConn has had what, three weeks to prepare for this one. Um, you know, you don't often see, you know, multiple, multiple, uh, bye weeks, uh, for a team coming into a game like this. So I guess, do you wonder if UConn's going to have any tricks up their sleeve, uh, since they've had so much time to prepare, uh, for a Clemson? I mean, it, is it, would it be completely unexpected to see a completely unexpected, uh, you know, offensive scheme or something like that coming out of this? Now, I know Dabo brought that up at his press conference, and he's, uh, you know, he's correct. The history of this from the opposite standpoint, 1993, Clemson was playing the University of Virginia. Virginia was ranked, had a really good, uh, really good team under George Welch. They came to Clemson. The Tigers had a couple of weeks to prepare. Uh, it was Ken Hatfield's last uh, season. Uh, I think we're, I think we're six and three. Um, uh, so um, what he did, what we were, had been struggling on offense, here's something to watch. In 1993, Clemson actually finished last in the ACC, but won nine games. We were the first ACC team to finish last in the ACC in total offense. It, we, uh, we might do that again this year. Uh, but anyway, um, so he, in that bye week, he put the um, uh, wishbone in, and we went to Dexter McLeon, who was a defensive back, and put him in at quarterback, uh, and we ran for 300-and-something yards. Dexter hit a couple of passes, just to keep him honest, one along 73-yard touchdown pass to Terry Smith, allowing him to become Clemson's career leader in receiving yardage that day, um, and Clemson won the game, I think it was 23-14. to 14. Uh, and so that was just totally shocking to to Virginia that that we did that. Now we've been kind of an option team to go total wishbone uh, was a, was kind of a surprise. Do I think you kind of go total wishbone against? Not, but they've had plenty of time to uh, pick up some things. Yeah, no, it will be interesting to see what happens. Um... The other interesting thing is that, you know, Clemson isn't completely out of the ACC title race. Um, they seem pretty far out before, uh, but like, like we were talking about getting momentum going into Wake Forest, if Wake Forest, you know, loses one other game and then also loses to Clemson, Clemson can have the tiebreaker over them. Uh, if North Carolina State then also has to lose a couple of games uh, out of their last three, and one of them being potentially this week, Wake Forest, uh, they're, they're playing this week before the um, you know, Wake Forest comes to Clemson. So uh, does it seem like a like a 99 out of you know 100 chance, or I don't know what what you would say, one out of 100. It'd be one out of 100 the other way around. Uh, that you know that Clemson is able to get an ACC title game, or have you seen stranger things happen in the in the final weeks of the season? I'm trying to think of some craziness that happened at the. Uh... And, you know, usually, John, they, it's kind of been, you know, cut and dry as we, as we come down the, uh, the, the stretch. Uh, a little bit on an offshoot of your comment, though, I think one of the great questions for Clemson fans uh, this weekend is, who do you root for between Wake Forest and NC State? <clears throat> and I thought about that, too, because you need NC State to lose two. You really only need Wake Forest to lose one if you're going to, you know, if you're going to have a chance for this, you got to beat them. <clears throat> next week so 
I don't know. My my uh, my gut is for to root for Wake Forest, and then NC State's just got to lose one other of the teams that they play, and of course Wake would have to lose just uh, one. But they've got two other. I think they each have two other conference games. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm the way I look at it is to uh, is to um, have Wake beat NC State, and then us turn around and beat Wake, and then hope Wake loses to. Boston College team that now has Phil Jukovic uh, uh, back. That's true. Yeah, Boston College is a is a stronger team probably than even when Clemson saw them. So that's not impossible. Um, it, it's uh, I don't know. I, I, again, I don't know if I should handicap it and say if it's sixty forty or seventy thirty or again one out of a hundred chance. But uh, well, I guess we'll see. And that's the fun thing about sports. We never know what's going to happen. So. Um, yeah, I'd say yeah. it's worse than 50-50. So, um, but you got to also remember those two programs are, are not in this position a lot. We're like, oh my God, we got to win this game to get in the ACC championship game. In the ACC championship game, I guess in 2006, that's the last time they were in it. And NC State hasn't played for the ACC championships really since 1979. So it's been, it's been a long time for both of them. Yeah, the tables have turned, so now, now they're finally the, the hunted. It's kind of the, the, the uh, roles have switched, but and Clemson is hunting. So we'll see how that hunting goes. Um, we'll see how, uh, you know, Clemson manages a game that, again, everybody expects them to win. Again, kind of if they're able to maintain some momentum going into Wake Forest. Um, that will be the that will be our conversation, I, I think. We're kind of running out of time here. I guess one more time to just tell the, the listeners, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, The Tiger Take, it is uh, postingcurrier.com forward slash The Tiger Take. So uh, thanks for listening. Um, thanks, Tim, for stopping by. And uh, we'll talk next week. Sounds good, John. See ya.